0: John, chapter 3, verses 9 through 18. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son,
1: Father, the desires of our heart are many for the effectiveness of this word from John 3.16. I pray that some will pass from the darkness of perishing into the light of life. I pray that others will be firmly established in their faith and made to taste the glories of the love of God. I pray that this truth would become so pervasive in our souls that it would make its way into the transforming of our marriages and our singleness and our teenage years and our employment and our internet use and our leisure. I pray that we would not think that John 3.16 is for beginners alone. So come and do more than we can imagine. I ask for your help. These great truths are over me. They are yours. Take over. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to focus, Lord willing, for two weeks, this week and the following week, on John 3.16. And on the two verses that follow it, which are given by Jesus to explain and support it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Whoever believes on him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed on the name of the only Son of God. Don't you think that's worth two weeks? It's worth a lifetime. It is not hard, is it, to understand why John 3.16 is Perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible. Perhaps the most memorized verse in the Bible. Perhaps the most loved verse in the Bible. It is not hard to see why that's the case. The reason, among others, is that in this verse, there are such massive realities. Seven or eight of them realities greater than which doesn't exist. God, love, the world, Son of God, faith in God, perishing forever, and living forever, and whoever you or not. It's just, there's nothing bigger. You you can't assemble bigger realities than are here. These are the greatest things that exist. So what could be more important for you? What could be more urgent for you right now. What could be more relevant for your life than to know where you stand in relation to what God says about these seven or eight great things? What? what? Nothing. Whatever you have on your mind right now does not come close. It's like a candle compared to the sun unless you have this on your mind. may God come. May God give you a heart to listen. These are the most important things in the universe for you. So we're not playing games. We're not doing a little study here. We're meeting God. We're facing eternity. We're dealing with whether we're going to die forever in hell or we're going to go to heaven with God forever in life And what makes the difference and how does that happen? These are the greatest realities that are. So if you have lesser things in your mind right now, ask God to replace them for the next 30 minutes or so with this. And may the Spirit give you grace to receive the Word of God. Here's the plan. John 3.16, in this service, I'll walk through it once, stopping at each of those those words, those great things, and make a comment about them, and stop. And try to apply them in their weightiness to us as we go along. I will leave out what may be the most precious word of all and devote the entirety of next week to that one word. I'm going to leave out the word loved. Now, one of the reasons that I must devote a week, a sermon, to loved is because as you read John 3.16, for God so loved, so loved, in this way loved the world, that He gave His Son so that anybody who believes wouldn't have to go to hell, but would go into everlasting joy. The, the reason that has to have a sermon, that love peace is because attention is created here with verse 8 and last time's message. The wind blows where it wills. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. There is a freedom in the wind. so is everyone who is born of God the Spirit, and only those are born again. Have the life referred to in verse 16 and enter the kingdom, which is eternal life. So verse 8 highlights the absolute freedom of God to land where He will on dead sinners and make them alive. And He doesn't do it for everybody. Not a single dead rebellious sinner on the planet deserves to be born again. Deserves to be made alive in Christ Jesus. Nobody deserves to be rescued from the deadness of their rebellion. We all deserve to be left there. And God leaves many. And then comes verse 16. For God so loves, so loved the world, that He gave His only Son so that whoever would believe would not perish and stay in the deadness where we all live, but be saved, born again, forgiven. Accepted, loved, and enter life forever. There's a tension there. And the efforts to relieve that tension between verse 8 and verse 16 very often strip 8 or 16 of its meaning. And we're not going to go there. We are Bible people, and we let the Bible has, have its say. And the question is, well then, if you let both of the verses have their say, what's the truth? How do we talk to unbelievers about God's love for them? That's next time. In fact, I would encourage you to... Uh, bring some people who wrestle with this. You all know that I'm talking about, people who struggle with this issue. I'll give you another heads up. I have been very helped by a book that was recommended over at CDG conference, I heard, namely Don Carson's book, The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. It's less than 90 pages. It's readable and it's very good. So buy it, get it from the library, And uh, you will be helped by it. Don Carson, The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. This week, we move through the verse one piece at a time, one glorious mountain peak at a time, in order to let it have its proper effect. And oh, how I hope you Bethlehem saints, know that this foundational verse is not just for beginners. It is high-level, high-voltage shock therapy for marriage struggles, single struggles, teenage struggles, Seven mountain peaks. Number one, God. For God so loved. There's no reason here to think anything other than that Jesus meant the God he knew from reading his Old Testament, namely the God of the Old Testament. He is the all-powerful creator and sustainer of the universe. He is a person. Not a force, merely that means he thinks, he wills, he feels, he loves, he hates. As a person, God is moral, meaning he deals with us in terms of right and wrong, good and bad. It also means that in his moral dimension, he is absolutely and perfectly righteous. He does everything that's right and only does what is right. And since he has no book to consult about what is right, he defines right and right is always what is in harmony what he, with his infinite value. All thinking, all feeling, all acting that is out of step, out of sync with the infinite worth of God is not right acting thinking and feeling and all thinking and feeling and acting that is in perfect harmony with the infinite worth of god is right thinking and right acting and right feeling god is absolutely right just in that he always acts and thinks and feels in perfect accord and harmony with His infinite worth. All of us were made by Him. It is our first and highest duty to honor Him and thank Him, and not one person has ever done so except Jesus. And therefore, we are all perishing. Because in His righteousness, He does not sweep our unrighteousness under the rug as though His worth had no worth. It will be dealt with either in hell or on the cross. God is righteous. Number two, the world. For God so loved the world... The most common meaning for the world in the book of John, the Gospel of John, is the created, fallen totality of mankind. It's not talking about a earth and fire planet. It's talking about people. The created, fallen totality of mankind. I'll read you a couple of verses to show you that. This is John 7, verse 7. The world... Jesus says to his disciples, The world cannot hate you. It hates me. Because I testify about it that its works are evil. That's the world. Or John fourteen seventeen, The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. That's the world. The world is evil. That is, all people are evil. All people are in opposition to God. Even religions that talk of God, do not love God, do not honor God, do not know God, because John makes it crystal clear, and Jesus over and over again, if you don't know me, you don't know him. If you don't love me, you don't love him. If you don't honor me, you don't honor him. And he said it mainly to the Pharisees who knew God better than any religion in the world. And he said they don't know God. So it doesn't matter if you're talking to people about are very religious, they talk God, God, God. they get God language all over the place, and they reject Jesus. They don't know God. The way John is using the word world here is that way. It's the great mass of fallen humanity that needs salvation. It's the countless number of perishing people in history and in the world. It's the the group, this ocean of people from whom the whoever's come, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. The whoever's come from the ocean of the world that God loves. That's the world. Number three, gave. For God so loved the world that He gave. Two things need to be said about this word gave. One, is that it is a giving from heaven to earth. And the other is that it is a giving to die. Verse 17 replaces the word give with the word send and shows us the first point. Look at verse 17. For God did not send... His Son into the world to condemn the world. So, send into the world. Send into the world is what give means in verse 16. First, that's the first meaning it has. So the giving we're talking about here is, there was in heaven a being called the Son, and He was sent to earth. Second point. get this from John 10 well lots of places but this is the easiest place to see it John 10 17 goes like this Um, Jesus says for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again no one takes my life from me I lay it down of my own accord I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up. This charge I received from my father. So now we know what the giving means. It means I give my son a charge go, die. That's what I'm sending. There are a lot of other things that are going to happen while you're down there, but there's one main thing I want you to do. There is something uh, that is very hard for us to to feel the weight of. I'll try to help more next time, next Sunday, Saturday. It is as though only a million times more so, you should say to your child, your daughter, your son, there is something I want you to do for me. Okay, Daddy. I have some enemies who hate me and that deserve to perish, and I want you to go and die in their place so that they can have eternal life. Whatever else you know about God, know that. Whatever other confusing things you run into in the Bible, know this. God said to the Son, I have a mission. There are enemies. And I want to save them. And I would like you to to suffer and die in their place so that I can. Whatever else you know about God, know that. Number four, the Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Muslims And others stumble over the idea that God has a son. So let me say a few things and perhaps say them in a way and specifically with verses so that you can help your friend who stumbles like that. God did not have sex with Mary in order to have a son hear that all over the world in Muslim contexts God did not have sex with Mary in order to have a son turn with me please back to chapter 1 where the basic understanding that John has laid for us knowing will have knowing this is a strange strange thing to say that God has a son that's a strange thing to say we Christians, we've taken it for granted for decades, but a brand new person who's never stumbled onto Christianity and hears that God has a son won't have any idea how to conceive of such a thing. Must have had sex with some goddess or something, you know. So John knows this is coming. John, John, is, John is giving us help here. He's not leaving us adrift with conceptual confusion about how to think about it about this. So, read, verse, read the first verse of the Gospel with me. Alright, we're in John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, so far, no mention of any Son. Just Word. And He says three things about the Word. Number one, He is God. The Word was God. Number two. He is with God and therefore distinct from God. The Word was with God. Number three. He has always been in existence and did not come into being because He was God. In the beginning was the Word. Those are three absolutely, massively important and crystal clear statements from verse 1. You don't need a seminary education to see that. Those are simple, straightforward, gargantuanly, mysteriously important. All right? Just clear. Now, drop to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Now here it comes. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Now you've got an idea about the Son. It's not some product of sexual union with a goddess or Mary. This is the word. And now we know something about the Son. The Son is God. He is God. Number two, we know. He is with God and therefore distinct from God, which is why he's called Son, and the one who sent him is called Father. This relationship, number three, has always existed and never had a beginning. Hard to conceive, little children... We'll ask you where did Jesus come from? Where did God come from? How did they get started? And there is no answer to how they got started because they didn't get started. This is the most mind-boggling reality that is God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, one divine essence one divine nature in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, existing in a relationship of infinite purity and joy always, world without end or beginning. That's who He sent. 5. Believe. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes... Four observations about believing. It's getting very close to you now, right? We've been out there in the big world of being, and now the question is you. This is you here. Do you do this? Is the most urgent, existential, relevant question of your life. Do I do this? Because if you don't, till you die, you will perish. Forever, And that doesn't mean go out of existence. What should we say about this believing? Here's the first and most important and clear thing you can say in this verse. Um, scratch that. Four things to say about it. First, not everybody will benefit from what Jesus did. Not everybody will benefit. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So, believing calls attention to the fact that there is a condition. If you don't have that faith, then you perish. If you do have that faith, you have eternal life. Not everybody will have eternal life, there will be a division. Second observation, believing means embracing something is true. And when it's a person, it means trusting them. And when it's a promise, it means trusting it. Trusting a person to be what they are and do what they say. That's what faith is. If I say, I believe you or I trust you, I believe that what I'm seeing is what I'm getting and and you will do what you say you're going to do. I'll bring it tomorrow or I trust you. I believe you. Third, in John chapter 1 verses 11 and 12, there's another word used to explain believe. I'll read it to you. You can look at it if you want. John 1:11 Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, that is, that is, comma, who believed in his name. You see the connection there? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So receiving Jesus is another word used to describe believing. So believing and receiving interpret each other, explain each other. You say, what does it mean to receive? It means believe. And what does it mean to believe? It means to receive Him. One more point. That point is worthless without the next one. I hope that you are not among the number who sling around religious jargon with no meaning. To say, I received Jesus means nothing until you have answered the question, as what? An unwelcome guest in your house whom you're going to poison? A person you had to let in because he wants to work on the furnace and you stick him down there and don't want to talk to him? There are all kinds of ways to receive Jesus that have zero effect on your eternity, except to make it worse. So the last point is, as what? Receive as what? And surely the answer to that question is, receive Him as what He is. Not what you think He is or what somebody told you He is or what you'd like Him to be, but as what He is. I'll give you one There are many verses that describe what He is. Like all of them, almost. (laughs) But here's one. John 6.35 Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. Whoever believes in Me will never thirst. I'm bread. I'm I'm water. If you believe, you receive me as that. Bread for your soul, water for your soul. You got thirsts? You got thirsts? Ha. You got thirsts? Your heart is a thirst factory. You wake up with thirst, you go to bed with thirst, you enter one thing after, you got thirsts. You all thirst for a thousand things. And Jesus says, I am the kind of being that if you would drink here, your thirst would be satisfied. All of them. Or, I'm food. And if you eat here, you won't have that gnawing craving that's ruining your marriage. It's wrecking your sex life. It's making you greedy and dishonest at work. Just controlled by these cravings and these longings because Jesus is bread. And when you received Him as six-year-old, you received Him as a it out of hell you carry it in your back pocket and frankly when you sit down it makes you uncomfortable that's not saving receiving he's Christ son of God savior wrath remover sin forgiver righteousness provider soul satisfier strengthener Oh, what isn't he for us? All in all, Paul called him. When you believe, that's what you receive. And that means that the rest of life is growing up into that. Which means that receiving the gospel is the way you solve every problem in your life. Marriage problems and health problems and every other problem is, I need more. I need more. You're everything I need. And I I got a lot yesterday. I'm tank empty today. So I'm back at the gospel fountain where the blood buys me everything, though I'm such a jerk. This is not just basic here. This is life. One of the reasons that at Bethlehem we have a certain vocabulary, I was talking to the, one of our elders about this the other day, and he wanted to check in to make sure I'm there still. I said, oh yeah, I'm absolutely there. We talk about not only receiving Jesus as Lord and receiving Him as Savior, we talk about receiving Him as our treasure. This, is, this verse is one of the reasons for that, 635. 635. The most explicit verse is Matthew thirteen forty four. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure hidden in a field. He went and sold everything he had to buy that treasure. So the reason we sin is because we have other treasures besides Jesus. Therefore, every day is a battle to believe the gospel, to believe, to receive, to be satisfied by Jesus as our everything. The treasure is a good summary. just touches on a lot of things. Number six, perish. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish. The most clear and the most important meaning for this is right there in the verse, namely its contrast with eternal life. So you've got eternal life here, you've got perishing here, so now you know what perishing is. It's eternal, and it's not life. And yet it's existence. The second way you know what it is, is because of verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Hmm, condemned. That's a word from the courtroom. It's what a judge does. He pronounces sentence and condemns. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. So God has already delivered a judicial sentence over all human beings. Guilty. Perishing. hell-bound, Deserving of it. And dead in trespasses. And God owes us nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. If He passes over me and does not awaken me and bring me to life, He's done me no wrong. I do him infinite wrong every day of my life, giving him 2% of my time, counting him as less valuable than the internet, or money, or health, or fun, stuff, videos, games. I damn myself every day. He owes me nothing. So there is a sentence over me, condemned. And the clearest verse in the Gospel of John on what that means is chapter 3, verse 36. So just 20 verses later. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. It's already there. That's why verse 18 says, already condemned. And verse 36 says, remains. And There is nothing you can imagine, I promise you, there is nothing you can imagine in the universe that is worse than for eternity to have the wrath of God, an omnipotent, holy God resting upon you. There is nothing more conceivably worse. Finally, number seven, life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. This does not mean simply that your present existence goes on forever because that's true of everybody. everybody lasts forever." That's not the meaning of eternal life, which you get if you believe. The meaning of eternal life is new birth. Chapter 6 verse 63 says, "...the Spirit gives life." And 1 John 5.11 says, this life is in His Son. So, what happens? It happens like this. You're dead. You're rebellious. You're spiritually disinterested and on your way away from God in heaven. And God blows in His freedom over your life. And there's a quickening. There's an awakening. And in that moment, here's what happens. Number one, through the awakening of faith, you are united to Christ. At that union with Christ, life becomes yours that was in Him. And then you forever live with new life Jesus said I am the resurrection and the what I am life I am the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me though he die yet shall he live and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die now in closing At this point, do not forget the word gave. We're on the word life. And I'm arguing that what's wrong with us is that we're dead. And what needs to happen is that we get life. Okay, That's totally inadequate to understand our salvation. Because it doesn't have anything to do yet with the death of Jesus He he gave His Son so that whoever would believe. And what did He give Him unto? I lay down my life. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There are two massive needs, not just one. One is, I'm dead. I need life. And the other is, I'm guilty and I need forgiveness. I'm under a judge here, and I'm in death here. The cross deals with this one. The Spirit deals with this one. New birth awakens us to faith and unites us to life. And the cross covers our sin and takes away the wrath of God. The Son came to be two things, not one thing. He came to die and in dying purchased for us life and in him is that life. Last closing question. Do you live in the forgiveness and life and freedom of John 3.16? Do you live in the freedom and forgiveness in life of John 3.16. I'm not asking if you give lip service to affirm that this verse is in the Bible and that it's true. That is not. The devil knows this verse is true. I'm asking, do you live here? Was this was this brought to you as a child and you took it and you stuck it in your pocket and now you live just like everybody else lives. You Got all the same values and all the same priorities and all the same everything because you haven't received life. We're talking about supernatural life. Eternal life is not the extension of this life. It's giving to us by the Holy Spirit a love for God, a delight, a living joy in God that now is conquering all the other sinful joys in my life. That's what the life is in John 3.16. So, is everything you do permeated with this verse? And my prayer is that God may grant you such faith. Believe the promise of John 3.16. Believe the promise and receive the Son and the life. And you will not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, on all three campuses, I want us to close with a threefold response. Number one, we're going to sing. And I've chosen a song that simply gives you a chance, if you believe, to say that. Everybody should testify when they believe. You're going to get a chance out loud for about 60 or 90 seconds to say, yes, with a song. And if you don't believe, don't you sing this song. That you lie. That's really dangerous. But far better would be to say, Oh, yes, I believe God has shown up here. Number two, we're going to add it at, at all the campuses, we'll be available for prayer. And number three, if you have to run on all the campuses, there are response boxes at the doors where you could leave an email or a phone number. And we would love to try to get to you when it would work. If you need to talk or pray. Let me pray. So Father in heaven, thank you for Christ. Thank you for just dis- sending him. Thank you for appointing him to die in our place. Thank you, Jesus, for saying yes obediently unto death. Thank you for raising him from the dead, Father. And thank you, Jesus, for taking your life back from the clutches and jaws of death. Thank you that you reign today. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who's being poured out on us just now. And I ask that he would move in power to save and to strengthen faith. In Jesus' name, amen.